So today we'll be in Luke, we'll be in chapter 12, we'll be in verses 13 through 34, so quite a significant um, chunk of scripture. And so, so you can grab your Bible, hopefully you brought yours. If not, there may be a Bible in front of you in the pew, um, or you can just use your phone, but please, please, please grab a Bible and read together with me. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 22, though, uh, because it really gets into the heart of, of what we're covering and what, what's... Um, what the Lord is trying to say in this, in this passage. So Luke chapter 12, verse 22 says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, see, I'm going to stop right there. So anytime you see therefore, uh, that means he's going to reference what was said in the previous verses. See, that's why I got to go back. I'm going to hit that in a little bit, but you can see why I got to hit this whole thing because it's all connected, right? So um, it says, therefore, um, Lost my spot. Here we go. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, which you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow, um, not reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, and where you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows what, and your father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So your possessions, your possessions to give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so here in this, here in this, um, in this section of the scripture, we kind of see that what God is getting. He's talking about um, anxiety. And he's talking about this aspect that in the kingdom, it's possible uh, that we won't experience anxiety. And also the other things that he mentions there, which is fear, uh, worry, all those things are closely related. But in the kingdom of God, Man, there is a possibility for us to have freedom from these things, freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry, and freedom from fear. Right? So let's look at this, this definition and define what anxiety is. Anxiety may be defined as apprehension, tension, or uneasiness that stems from the anticipation of danger. Anxiety can be considered the price we pay for having the ability to imagine the future. So as humans, we have autonomy. We have the ability to imagine what might, what might come down the road. And so as long as we have that ability, we can imagine a future that's not desirable for us. Um, and so then that means then that we have the possibility then for anxiety. And sometimes we even anticipate it um, coming in the future. And so this is relevant for all of us today because um, even though we live in a world, in a society where we have access to more than we have ever had access to before, 
um, and our nation increasingly becomes more and more anxious. And so um, I see it because of technology and making things more convenient for us, the focus being on us. I see this in social media where the focus is on us. And so anytime we are focused and preoccupied with ourselves, that means we're also preoccupied with our future. And then I also think we, we um, are more anxious because I think we're now more aware of anxiety and how it shows up in all the different places of our lives. And so, so this is kind of where we are, and this is what we're talking about um, today, anxiety. Because in the scripture, Jesus' remedy is this, hey, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. In other words, all the things that you're anxious about, all the things you're worried about, all the things you're fearful for, if you seek the kingdom, those things will be added, right? So all this is within a kingdom context, and last week we learned about what the kingdom was. Steve said that kingdom, the kingdom is, is where God reigns. And so, but if, if the kingdom is where God reigns, then how do we seek it? And how do we define it in a way so that we, we can seek it, right? And so that's what we hope to kind of grapple with today as we tackle this, this scripture. So this whole conversation about anxiety is kicked off by a man that we find in verse 13. Okay, so let me... Let me go back to verse 13 in the same chapter, um, chapter 12 of, of Luke. And here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not uh, consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for uh, many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, uh, whose will they be? So is, this the, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So what you have here um, in verse 13, uh, Jesus is, um, he's speaking to the crowd. He's, he's giving a sermon and he's, he's in the middle of his sermon. And we learn uh, uh, at the beginning of the chapter that there's a lot of people. Scripture says there are thousands of people. Um, here that Jesus is talking to. And this man, he, his issue was urgent. And so he interrupts Jesus and saying, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so this man sees an opportunity. Man, if I can get Jesus on my side, my brother will have no choice um, but, but to follow what Jesus says. And so I need to, I need to get Jesus to rule um, in my favor. Uh, so number one, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't out of the ordinary for rabbis to, to settle civil disputes, right? And so, uh, so Jesus, he, he may not be an official rabbi, so to speak, but he's definitely a teacher, one that teaches with authority, that teaches in a way that no one has, has ever heard. And so it's not completely inappropriate for uh, someone to ask a rabbi to help settle this dispute. Um, but what you see here is this man, it, it's over his inheritance, and so, uh, so you would think that this probably the, the younger brother, since when, when the father dies, it's the older brother that gets the, that gets the inheritance. 
And so he's worried about this because, uh, man, there's a lot of prestige. There's a lot of honor. There's a lot of status um, in this Middle Eastern culture uh, when you own land. Uh, it helps you to provide for uh, your family. There's just a lot to gain and also a lot to lose around the issue of land. And he's thinking to himself, man, if I don't get this land, uh, man, I won't have any honor. I won't have any prestige. I won't have any status. And so there's a future for him that's in danger, right? And so this man is anxious because as the culture defines, uh, man, his life is over. So he's like, Jesus, please, please save my life as our culture defines it. And his anxiety is so intense that, that whatever apprehension that he would have about speaking in front of thousands of people, that goes to the wayside because he needs to get this done. Because for him, his life is in jeopardy. But Jesus says to him, uh, man, man, who made me the judge or arbiter over you? Um, and he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So what he's discussing there, other translations will say, um, and be on guard uh, for all kinds of greed. So the source of this man's anxiety here in this case is greed. In other words, he's experiencing a level of, of discontent. Um, what he has is not good enough for him, and, and he wants more. And so Jesus begins to, to uh, he does rule over his issue, but he doesn't do it in the way uh, that this man would hope. And he starts by saying, man, be on guard, be on the lookout uh, for greed of all kinds. And so, so in this first part of the scripture, right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to get in and out real quick because I got three kingdom lessons that I want to pull from this section uh, dealing with this man. And then when Jesus gets into a parable, and then what I want to do is go into what I feel like is really at the, at the root of, of what Jesus is really getting at as it relates to our to our anxiety. So, so let me get through these quick lessons. So lesson number one, lesson number one is this. Life is more than acquiring what we need to live in the accumulation of possessions. Let's look back again at verse 15. And he said uh, to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness or all kinds of grief. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of uh, possessions, right? So so basically, we begin to get preoccupied with the things that we feel like we need. Um, but the thing is, he says that life does not just consist of these things. In other words, if we get the things that we seek after, if we think the things that we think will make us content, what Jesus is saying is uh, uh, life consists of more than these things. Because you got to remember, in the beginning was the word, the word uh, was God, and the word was with God. So Jesus was there in the beginning. He has designed life itself and understands what, what life and how it should be lived. And he says, this isn't it, right? So why would you be anxious about obtaining something that ultimately is not going to provide the life that you're looking for in the first place? So then we look at uh, verse 19 uh, when we actually get into the parable that Jesus is saying. It says, uh, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Relax, right? Um, uh, take away all the, the, the resistance, the struggle, the challenge. Um, this is the life that this man in the parable is kind of going after. This is, this is what he feels like um, his goods will make it possible for him to experience a life where he can 
relax, right? And, and if, if I'm honest, if we're honest, a lot of us, we subscribe to this way of thinking. We feel as though that if we, if we just had this one particular thing, that, that, man, we would be good, that we would live the good life, that life would be, as, as I called it growing up, gravy. And, and uh, we think that that's it, right? I mean, if I just get this, and if it's not just this, it's always associated if, if I get more. So when the crowd, Jesus is addressing the crowd and what the prevailing thought may have been in the crowd. And he's also addressing us, which may be the prevailing thought for us today, where we may think that, man, if we just get more, um, we will be good. But the, the, the word here um, used for, for Mary is uh, euphrano, and the Greek word for that is where we derive our word euphoria. So we, he believes that, man, this, the, 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 the crops that I have is, and, and storing that up will provide for me the things that will allow me to relax. And I'm attaching the fact that, man, I'm just going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm going to experience euphoria. But what we find is, and what Jesus is warning against is this, the things that we think uh, will give us that euphoric experience. The more that we think um, that will give us the life we desire, that one of satisfaction and one of fulfillment um, will not do what we expect it to do. The things that we desire will ultimately fail us and we will still be in a place where we will be lacking and we will be unfulfilled. So the reality is, again, so, so why continue to seek the things if they're not going to ultimately satisfy us in the first place? So that's lesson number one. We'll go to lesson number two. Lesson number two is this. Whatever we gain in this life, it's not a result of our own efforts. Okay, let's look back in. We'll look at verses 16 through 19. It says this, and he told them, a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so <laughs> you have ample goods laid up for many years, right? Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So what we see here is this man is, is self-absorbed. He's full of himself, right? Uh, there's no mention of any friends or family. There's, there's no expression of gratitude towards God. And here's the thing, like, like someone, someone that is a farmer and experiences a good crop, you would think that that's the person that would be humble because, because how did this man come across such a good crop? The reality was he just experienced favorable weather conditions. It, it rained and, and the temperature was conducive for a, a plentiful crop. So it really had nothing to do with that man. Um, so you would think he would be humble, but he's not. And so sometimes, sometimes we're in the same boat. Sometimes we think that, that it's our efforts are the cause for the good things that we experience and the things that we possess. Then we're, more likely, then we're more likely to be under the illusion that those things belong to us. And this isn't just about money, right? This, this is relevant to everything, our time, our talent, status, comfort, peace, power, position. Like you, you, you fill in the blank. Whatever you believe that you're experiencing that's good, you're not experiencing it because of your efforts. 
But that's what we think, right? That's how we move. And so we think our lives, we think at our, we look at our lives, excuse me, and, and we say, self, you've, you've worked hard to get that degree. Self, uh, you've worked hard to rise to the level of your company or in your industry. Self, you've been, you've been smart with your money. Self, you've been spending years raising those daggum kids or taking care of your parents and you claim ownership. You claim rights uh, to do what you want to do with the things you feel that you have earned and you deserve. Because you did that thing, right? So if I did that thing, I, I can do what I want with the things. I work hard. And I, need, I have the ability to do what I want to do. And that's where we're at. And that's what the man does in the parable. He decides, hey, I'm going to build, build bigger barns. Because to build more barns, I can't do that because then that would take up the land that's producing the great crop. So what I got to do is I got to tear down the ones I have, build bigger ones, taller ones to store my goods and my crops, right, so that I can leverage the crop. I can't sell it now because I'd flood the market. So I can't do that. So I got to store it. When there's a scarcity, let them crops go and then get that money, right? So he, that's what he's doing. But he's already rich, right? Uh, and so he's just, he's, this is, again, this aspect of greed. And so right now this man is experiencing anxiety um, because he doesn't want to lose the possession of his excess because he sees it as the key to the future of his life as he defines the best way to live. And so that's what happens. This is what happens to us as well, right? Inevitably, here's what happens. We, we begin to stake our identity in these things. Right? These things are what give us confidence. They, they give us security and contentment. And these things are the things that begin to define our lives. And then can you imagine what happens then if, if the things that we identify, that we say define our lives, if those things become endangered, then guess what we begin to experience? Anxiety, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you, sis. Anxiety, worry, fear, and it goes on and on and on. And then we're back to where we was in lesson one, right? So that's not what we want to do. So that's lesson two. On to lesson three, marching forward. Lesson three is this. It's foolish to be rich towards yourself and not be rich toward God. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. It says this, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, um, those, whose will they be? Excuse me. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I just love the fact that Jesus is like, fool? <laughs> I'm telling y'all, man, Jesus is my dog. That boy don't be playing no games. Fool, like me. Fool, I'm talking to you. <laughs> the word fool here um, is a Greek word, aphron, right? So aphron, it doesn't just mean fool. It means uh, stupid, ignorant, egotistical, unbelieving, unwise fool. You the fool of fools, right? And so it speaks to the intensity and the power of the language of, of, of that Jesus used to discuss this issue. Jesus is not playing with this issue. Because it says this, because the man says, you fool, I, I'm going to demand your life later today. And the word used for demand here is, is a word used uh, um, to relate to, to refer to something being on loan. 
I gave you your life and everything in it on loan, and eventually I'm going to require back what is mine. So everything we have is on loan. One day God will demand that we will give it back to him what belongs um, to him. And so I just think about, I think about, um, I think about uh, funerals. And um, sometimes when I go to funerals, not sometimes, all the times, what, it, it kind of snaps me back. It kind of like wakes me up to reality. It kind of gives me a fresh and a sober perspective because we go along living this life as if this life was all there is. But the Bible says that we are aliens in a strange land. This is not our home. This life is not our home. So when I go to a funeral, man, it just becomes, it just kind of wakes me up. Like, oh, shucks, like this, this life isn't it. My life one day will end. And I just can't imagine the person that, that uh, man, he, may, he or she may know their death is imminent. They may know their death is coming. And then they, what they're facing is the fact that, man, for their whole lives, what they've been is they've been rich towards themselves. And so the thought of dying also encompasses uh, losing everything that they've worked so hard to gain. And then they can't take it with them when they die. But the reality is this, what, what the scripture is saying is to be rich towards God, to be rich towards your relationship with God. So when I'm rich towards my relationship with God, I'm, I already have a familiarity with God. I'm already in a position to where I know God. I'm already in a position to where I know the heart of God. He's already spoken to me about who he is, and he's already spoken to me about who I am in him. And when I leave this life, um, guess where I'm about to go? I'm about to go be with Jesus. And so I feel good about where I'm going because for, for, for years I've been investing in my relationship with him. I'm excited to a degree. You don't like when I talk like this, but, but, but I'm excited because I don't have to experience everything going on down here with y'all. I get unfettered access to the one. There are literally things. That, listen to me. This is where I tarry. There are literally things that I say to myself. I say, you know what, Lord? This is going to have to be a thing that I'm literally, I'm going to just have to wait till glory. In this life, 100%, I just won't experience it in this life. One of those things being a motorcycle. I want to ride. <laughs> vroom, vroom. I want to do it. But I got my queen here. My princess got a princess on the way. I can't take on the unnecessary risk. So, look, whatever thrill associated with that motorcycle ride, I want it too. It's going to be dope looking cool and everything. Swag, 100%, dripping everywhere. I got to wait till heaven. 100%, and I ain't mad about it because we got eternity. So here's the thing. These things that we go after, they don't define our life. God is the one that defines our life because, check this out, because he's the one that wrote you as a character in his story. So to enrich our relationship with God means stewarding what God has given to you on loan in order to invest in those things that God values the most. That's lesson number three. Okay, so then in Scripture, then we begin to take a turn. Because Jesus has been talking about anxiety as it relates to this man's greediness and the greed in general. He's, he's using this man to, to give an object lesson on greed. 
So now Jesus is about to talk about anxiety as it relates to a more general sense. He expands the scope of of him talking about anxiety and even expands it to us worrying about, man, even our basic needs. And in in this this section of scripture, we began to see what's at the foundation of all the, the lessons we just talked about. Right. There's there's something foundational there. And we kind of get into it here in this next passage of, of Scripture. So I've already read everything as it relates to the lilies in the field and the grass and the birds. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to cut straight down to the chase in verse 30, where it says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. So he, he talks about God as our Father. So he, so he introduces this, this fatherly element, and, and God is our Father. He knows, we need, he knows we need these things. So listen, so that I don't have to unpack all that scripture, let me just say this. So I have a daughter, Carrie, and she's five. Um, and so it would be like me going up to, to Carrington's room and me seeing that she is storing up goldfish under her bed. And I'm like, Carrington, why are you storing up goldfish? That's a snack, by the way, in case you didn't know. Not actual. <laughs> I forget. Everyone doesn't. Some of y'all have aged out of that season of five-year-olds. It's a snack. So why are you storing up goldfish, Carrington? And, and then she tells me, well, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to feed me tomorrow. So just in case you didn't, I'm storing up these goldfish. So it's like, okay, so we also have a dog. His name is Harley. Harley is a golden doodle. He's about 78 pounds. He's my firstborn son. And, 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 and it, I'm talking to Carrington. I was like, Carrington, don't, don't we feed Harley every day? Harley gets food every single day. Don't we, don't we clothe Harley? Harley has the wardrobe. It'd be snowing. The edge would be like, hey, babe, don't forget to put on a sweater. I put on that dog's sweater. <laughs> Don't make a difference for that dog. Harley got a wardrobe. And then we spend more money on Harley's hair than we do our hair combined. And I got hair now, right? So that's the thing. Right? I'm coming for Mark Lane, though. I'm coming for Mark Lane. I'm coming for that dog. I'm going to get there. You got a little bit of hair start. Hair start. But that's the thing. So we feed Harley. We literally clothe Harley. We get his hair done. So, Carrington, sweetie, if I'm going to do all this for my dog, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? And matter of fact, she doesn't even know where we're, we're planning out her whole entire life. If Carrington, if Carrington sings the notes, like, babe, Carrington can sing, but we need to put it on lessons next year. <laughs> we had a daddy-daughter dance uh, just uh, yesterday. Everybody's doing this, right? Everybody's dancing like this, daddies and daughters. Carrington's twirling, doing this. <laughs> Babe, we got to get her in dance. She might be a dancer. I'm planning on my kid's life. We're talking about college and she's five years old. But she has no idea that we, she has no idea that we're planning her life out to that extent. Right? If I'm going to take care of my dog, Carrington, will not surely take care of you? And so in this language and talking about God is our father, see, this is covenant language. Because the only way that we can be considered sons and daughters and him being our father is because we're in a covenant relationship with God. 
Because we're sinful. And in our sin, we are separated from God and we don't have a relationship with God. But he's made a covenant with us first with Abraham. Y'all know Father Abraham. And then now Jesus is about to make a new covenant with this death on the cross. And so we have a covenant relationship. He is our father and we are his sons and daughters. And so here's the reality we need to live into as sons and daughters. It says this, God is our father. He is our creator. And we live out and we live our lives under his, his love, affection, generosity, and his commitment to our flourishing. We have an identity We have an identity as children of the Father. And this flows from our relationship with God. So this is the source of our identity and therefore our sense of security and confidence. So we have to live into who we are as sons and daughters. And because he is our Father, he knows what we need. Matter of fact, he knows what we need before we even ask it. So he talks about covenant, but then he transitions to kingdom, which is a separate thing altogether. So here's what he says in verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So we learned a little bit about kingdom last week, right? Um, We learned last week that kingdom... Um, it's present wherever God reigns. A friend of mine named Narup, pastor in Denver, Colorado, said that the kingdom of God is where God is where what God wants gets done. Is where what God wants done gets done. Excuse me. So then, when we seek the kingdom, um, it is to pursue the things that God wants done, and then we're instruments for the kingdom. So to seek the kingdom is to have our values in alignment. With God's values. And when our values are in alignment with God, and when our values are in alignment, we can represent God and the kingdom on earth. So we have an opportunity to be God's representation here on earth. But check this out. But we can't do it without fully living into our covenant identity. We can't do it, friends, without living into who we are as sons and daughters. Because as sons and daughters, we're going to trust the Father to provide everything that we need, and then we're free to obey him. You know when you don't obey God, you know you just don't trust him? That's what that means. You don't trust God to provide. You don't trust God to do what he says he's going to do. So when you disobey, that just means you don't trust. And living into our covenant relationship with him is us trusting God to do what he said he's going to do as our father. And the reason we can't represent him until we get that right is how can you represent someone you don't trust? So we first have to live into our covenant relationship, and then we can go into representing God uh, and his kingdom. St. Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, so we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are his ambassadors. So when it comes to ambassadors, you know that the, the, the United States, we have uh, 163 embassies across the world. And uh, each one of those embassies uh, has an ambassador. And the reason these embassies are there and the reason these ambassadors are there is because uh, our government needs representation in those places. Our president needs representation in those places. Because the ambassador is looking out for the concerns of our country in that country, 
right? Uh, uh, the ambassador also, in addition to that thing, also there are government agencies that are operating in these countries. Also, there's business and commerce happening in these countries. And so all those folks representing those things um, go to the embassy in those countries, and the ambassador is over all those things. So the ambassador, what happens is um, our country needs the ambassador to work on behalf of us. And so what we say is, like, oh, we need to protect the ambassador. So what they do is they say, okay, ambassador, we need to give you a, a protection detail. You can't go alone because you know why? You're too valuable. We got to make sure you're looking out for our interests, so we need to protect you. You can't just travel around in no normal car. We need to give you an armored limousine. You thought the president was the only one that had those? No, those ambassadors, they do as well. Why? Because if something happens to that ambassador, then we're weakened because we don't have someone looking out for our interests in that country. And so here, as, as ambassadors, then, then we also have the ability to represent God in the same way. Because ambassadors as a whole in the world, right, you're looking at tens of thousands of ambassadors from, from all the countries, right? So, but, but we have a God that is the, the king of the entire universe, so if this is the treatment that one of tens of thousands of ambassadors gets for this planet, how much more value should we have as an ambassador for the king of the entire universe? So check this out. So listen, um, so, so you need to have a different demeanor, right? You need to roll up in this mug like you rolled up in an armored limousine. You got protection, you got stuff to do. And check this out. You know, ambassadors, you've heard of diplomatic immunity, which means that the laws of that country don't apply to them. You can't, please can't come to me and say, say nothing to me. What kind of confidence would I have in a different country when I'm like, police, buy brick wall. Don't talk to me. I don't abide by your rules. So you don't abide by this world's rules. And you got stuff to do. Because you got the God who's the king of kings and the Lord of lords that's trying to save the whole world. And he wants to use you to do it. Listen to me. Check this out. So what you need to do, I'm telling you, as a brother in Christ, you need to enlarge your vision for your life. You think too small. You're too satisfied with a little bit. You have to wrap your brain around the possibility that God may desire for your life to impact generations. God may use your life to impact hundreds, if not thousands of people. We think too small. God got work to do. Work that's so significant he sent his only son to die so he can multiply his impact through all of you. We think too small. God has bigger things for us to do. And I, I listen, I know you're, you're taking an assessment of, of yourself. You, you, you have an estimation of you and, and what you're capable of and, and what you can do. And all of this seems far-fetched. You may even say, man, I'm low maintenance. I don't need security detail. I don't need a limousine. Man, you better take that because the work that you're doing requires it. So it seems far-fetched for you, but it seemed far-fetched for Moses too. Because Moses was a fugitive. He was in exile. 
for 40 years. And God goes to Moses to say, Moses, hey, man, you need to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Because God has something he wanted Moses to do. And Moses was like, nah, God, you know, I got this speech impediment. I, you know, sometimes I stutter. I don't know. I, I don't enunciate very well. How can I speak for you? Don't worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. And so Moses had to go from Midian to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh. That was a journey. So do you think that God is going to allow something to happen to Moses as he goes to talk to Pharaoh? Do you think, you know that when he got, listen, let me ask you a question. Can you right now go talk to the president of the United States? Can you do that? No, you can't do that. You don't have that level of access. So do you think Moses had that level of access with the Pharaoh? You think that Moses just walked on in there? But he had God with him, and God made a way. God provided protection for him from Midian to Egypt. God walked into that, into the Pharaoh's spot, was like, I'm here. Let my folks go. Because God was with them. God wasn't going to allow something to happen because what God wanted done was for his people to be free. He was going to protect Moses in the gap as he went from point A to point B because God wanted done what he wanted done, and he was using Moses to do it. So listen, when we seek the kingdom, we value what God values, we begin to have the same heart that God does, then we become more concerned about kingdom issues over our own issues. And since we're instruments of the kingdom, he's going to take care of you. He's going to allow his power to flow through you in order to get done what he wants to get done. So I'm not concerned about my future because my future is secure because the kingdom is secure. The security has, uh, the, security has the power to eliminate anxiety in my life. So check this out, real, real quick story. So I, I want to give you just a picture of how this plays out, right? And so, um, but let me kind of let you in, get personal about my journey. So I'm totally in the spot where I believe that, that, that I'm in preparation for what the Lord has for me. I believe that I haven't even really experienced what the Lord wants me to experience yet. I'm in preparation, but I know that there's things that the Lord wants me to do, right? So check this out. So we're in Kansas City. We're trying to move here to Illinois. Uh, I had already sent my wife to Illinois with some stuff. So she had a, a place to start. So, But we were selling our house, and, and I had to get the rest of our stuff and get it on up here, right? So, so I'm in Kansas City. The house is sold. I have signed the papers. I know the date in which the people are going to assume the property. Um, but the problem was I had gathered a crew, and we began to load. And then I began to experience the, the, the shadow side of being so blessed. We got so much stuff. We had already purged, but God, he was too good to us, right? And it couldn't fit. And I'm like, well, shucks, like the, the, the truck is full. Um, and I guess I'm going to need to get another truck. And I'm going to need a whole new crew because everyone wasn't available. I had to do it the next day. Had to. Problem was, I didn't have no money. The pandemic was rough on the Davises. I literally had no money. How am I going to pay for a truck? And how am I going to get the manpower to make it happen? And so you have this, my future's in danger because the people are coming to take the house. And so there's all this room and space right now in that moment for me to have anxiety because my future's in jeopardy, right? There's a lot of room for worry. There's a lot of room for fear because I literally don't know how I'm going to get my stuff out this house. 
And so the thing is, I, I, I've been here before, so I, I wasn't anxious. And so I just asked myself, okay, what, what's, the, what's the next thing you can do to make it happen? And, and then it was just a tough situation. And all I asked the Lord was, Lord, help me endure. It was tough. But I knew he was going to do it. I knew he was going to do it. Because we had work to do here, and I'm with all y'all, right? So we made it. So what happened, I drove, I was up all night. And I drove eight hours on no sleep, but the Lord was with me. We made it happen. My mom paid for the U-Haul, and it was all good. My sister, we put our stuff in, in my sister-in-law's garage, so she was generous. I didn't want to do none of those things because I'm prideful. I don't want to ask nobody for nothing. I want to go to my mom at 30-some years old. Mama, can you get my moving truck for me? Me and my family got to move to Illinois. I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? But I did it, and it was all good. Right? Plenty of room for me to be anxious. Plenty, plenty of room for me to have worry and fear, but I knew we had work to do here. That's why when it comes to what we got to do here, I'm not playing no games. We're trying to win souls for Christ. We're trying to have an impact at Elgin. I didn't come this way to twiddle my thumbs, neither did Bria and the Timlicks, right? We came here to make it happen. And so, so the question for you is, what does it mean for you to seek the kingdom? Seek the kingdom. Seek it. The things you seek, a good friend of mine, Sophie, uh, who's up there doing slides, she says, she taught me and told me, the things you seek, you will find those things. So my car broke down last week and I bought an Equinox. Um, but before I bought it, uh, Andrew was like, you should look at a Chevy Equinox. And I said, what does the Equinox look like? I've never seen one before in my life. She reminded me, like, yes, you did. I should got one. I said, I don't know what I should car look like. So I got a Chevy Equinox, y'all. And then now I've been driving that thing for like, what, two days? And I done seen 15 million Equinoxes. I was like, oh, wow. Equinox family, what, what, represent Equinox. I got the ZTS. Whatever it is. Right? And you know this. Whatever you seek, you'll find. So here's the deal. So, so three things. What does it mean for you to seek the kingdom? Number one, repent and believe. Right? The Bible says this in Mark chapter 115. The time has come. The, king, uh, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe so you can experience the kingdom. In order for you to experience the kingdom, you got to get into the kingdom. Repent and believe, which means that, man, uh, uh, whatever the Lord exposes to you that you need to change about your life, you need to say yes and believe that's the best way to live and go the opposite direction from where you were going. You look at the life of Jesus, you lay it on top of your life, and you say, all right, here's my life, here's Jesus' life. What's the difference between those two? My posture repentance says I'm going to be fanatical about closing the gap. Fanatical about closing the gap because I believe and I trust that his way is the best way. So number one, you got to repent and believe. Number two, you got to love people. Because God was concerned about the way we love other people. The greatest command was what? Uh, uh, love the Lord your God, right? And then also love others as he loves you, right? So love is a big deal. So you got to love people. And I believe that if you endeavor intentionally and, and, and with intensity to love people, you will find opportunities to love people. Because God cares about that. And then you probably don't even have to go too far because there's probably people in your sphere where, that you can love uh, better. You probably don't have to go too far. You probably can start with some family, maybe some friends and some relationships, right? I know I can love my wife better. So the Lord is saying, do that. Love people because God values that. God cares about that. And then lastly is this, care for the hurting, the needy, and the oppressed because this is what God cares about. Um, The scripture, the Bible, there are 2,103 verses concerning this very thing. You think God cares about that? 
And there's opportunities for you to seek out, for you to care for the hurting, the needy, and the oppressed. You just have to open your eyes and you have to see. There are ways, there are things that the Lord is placing before you where you have an opportunity to act. You have an opportunity to care. So be faithful and say yes to those things. Believe that that's the best thing for you. That's the best for your life and make it happen. So this is what it means to seek the kingdom. And then there might be someone in here, you may say to yourself that, um, like, man, you know, I, I feel like I've been doing these things, but I still feel like I'm waiting. I still feel like the Lord hasn't come through for me. And so my encouragement to you would be not to be so short-sighted. You pursuing the kingdom is you launching into a journey. Because when you, when you pursue the kingdom, um, you may meet people that you haven't met before. It's going to cause you to, to develop skills you would never have developed before. It's going to cause you to care for things you, you wouldn't have cared for before. It's going to cause you to see things you've never, you never seen before. And the Lord is going to reveal to you things that you didn't previously know. All because you're seeking the kingdom. And that's why the Bible says that, that no eye has seen, no ears heard, no heart has imagined uh, those that God has uh, for those that love him. Because he hasn't revealed it yet. Because he doesn't reveal it till you seek his kingdom and till you value the things that he values and until your heart is transformed to be more like his. When your heart is transformed to be like God's heart, um, your heart won't let you not do it. If your heart's transformed and you see somebody in need, it won't let you turn a blind eye because your heart's there. I can't just turn a blind eye to this person. The Lord has given me a, a, abundance and why would I not help this person because they're needy? You would act on it because it's your heart. You'll be convicted if you're not loving people the way you should because it's your heart, right? You'll be convicted by the fact that you're not repenting and trusting God with your life because you know that apart from God, you are nothing because it's your heart. So I just encourage us all today for us to seek the kingdom of God. Because if we get involved in his business, he's, he's going to take care of the gap. He's going to take care of the rest because... Uh, he needs to get done what he wants to get done. And he wants to use you to do it. So, man, just enlarge your vision. Think bigger. The Lord could have a significant plan for your life if you would just seek the kingdom. And I think about the man that kicked out this whole conversation. That, it, that was anxious, man. He, he was just like, I just, I just want my inheritance. And I just think about the Lord looking at him and saying, like, man, I have so much more for you than you just, just getting your inheritance and relaxing and thinking you'll be good. So much more. There's so much more value, so much more purpose, so much more satisfaction, so much more fulfillment that you wouldn't even know because I haven't revealed it to you. But, but there's so much more there. And I think about there are people in my life that I love, and I'm looking at their lives, and I'm like, I know you haven't fulfilled, fulfilled your kingdom purpose because you don't do nothing. And I love you, though. There's, I know there's so much more for you, and it breaks my heart. So listen, so let's pursue what Jesus has for us. Let's pursue the more that he has for us. Let's, let's align our hearts with his hearts. Let's go on this adventure, right, and pursue this life that, that's filled with, with excitement and vitality and meaning and life and purpose. Let's go love somebody. Let's confess our sins. Let's go help the hurting, the needy, and the oppressed. And then let's come back together and tell stories and celebrate about what God did. So as you go this week, do that. Have fresh eyes. 
have a fresh, have a fresh lens for what God is doing before your life. And when that opportunity presents itself, just say yes, be brave, and step forward and seek the kingdom. You guys are great. Be blessed.